morning. Well, we're in the first week of a series called People of the Second Chance, and I hope you stick with us for these three weeks as we talk about how God gives each of us a second chance, and we talk about what second chance living is all about. Now, if you ever notice little kids playing, little tiny kids, they'll be playing a game, and if it starts going not their way, what do they sometimes yell? Do over, let's start again. And they just start again like nothing ever happened. Wouldn't it be really cool in life if when you've messed up or when you're balancing your checkbook or when you're talking to your boss, you just say, oh, time out, do over. Let me back up and do that again. Well, that's what receiving a second chance from God is like. It's like getting a do-over. When I was just finishing up graduate school, I was getting ready for the dreaded comprehensive exams. If you've ever done that, you know what that's like. It's horrible. It's a little bit of like, it's a little bit of hell on earth to have to do that, frankly, to have to remember all this stuff that you've learned throughout school. And the way it worked in my department was uh, the professor, the, the leading professor, chairman of the department would be there. You would get to choose a professor and then randomly someone else would be chosen in the department. And you would go in a room and you would stand in front of these three people and they had a list and on that list would be all the classes you'd taken and because they were smart and been doing it for a while, they could just randomly ask you any question they wanted to ask you throughout your whole collegiate career. I didn't have a good one. And so they're asking me these questions and it became abundantly clear about halfway through, I'm failing miserably. And so I failed. Didn't pass them the first go around. And so the rule was, if you failed, you had to come back for another semester. There were some classes that you had to take, which were, you know, kind of like the classes for flunkies that just said, hey, you didn't quite make it, so we're going to lower things a little bit and, and teach it a little differently, and you just have to take a test on this one class that you took, and then you can have your master's degree. And I remember going into the chairman of the department saying, look, I can't do that. I can't, I can't come back another semester. One, I don't have the money. Two, I'm starting a full-time job. Three, I'm supposed to be getting married in a month. This might have a factor. So please, for the love of all that's good, will you please just let me take the test again? And he said, no, we don't do that. We've never done that. We're not going to do it. And I sat there for probably an hour. And finally, he said, okay, you can do it again, except you have to read these books. And he handed me a stack of books read these books, come back in two weeks, take the test again. I did that, took the test, and I passed that time, all because he gave me a second chance. Wouldn't it be great if we could live life knowing that we can have a second chance? You may have received a second chance from your parents really messed up, and you thought, uh oh, this is it, like I'm going to be shipped away for what I've done. But somehow they gave you a second chance or a teacher, or a spouse, or your boss just gave you another chance. It's common to hear somebody who's had an illness or been through an accident and been near death or, or had a really bad prognosis for the future, and they find out that it's not going to be that way, and they are going to live, and life's going to be full again, and they usually say something like, I've got a second lease on life. It's a whole new perspective, and that's what you can have from God if you enjoy the second chance that he offers each of us, if you give the second chance to others who need to hear it, and if you live a life of the second chance. When you read stories in Scripture, 
you can read stories about characters that really did great things for God. There are people who conquered nations on behalf of God. There are people who led other God's people through the wilderness on behalf of God. And when you look and see all of the leaders that God used, most of them are people who blew it first go around, who made huge mistakes, who desperately needed a second chance. So God uses people who mess up. God uses people with scars. God uses people who didn't get it right the first go around, and he gives us a second chance. And that's what this whole series is going to be about, what it's like to get a second chance, give a second chance, and start to practice second chance living. We're going to be looking at several sections of scripture as we go through the next couple of weeks. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. Ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep if you'd like an extra Bible or if you'd just like to borrow it, you can do that and leave it in the back on the way out. You can also read along on the screen as I look at several scriptures from God's Word. So academically, I told you the story of me getting a second chance, but that's not the whole story. Because the whole story is that they liked me. They thought I was cool. They enjoyed my company. And every time a professor would need something, I would go do it for them. If they needed a, a lab handled for undergrad, I would go do that for them so they could do whatever they were doing. And I would, I would help out all I could. I would just hang out in the department so they would like me. And so I had a leg up when I sat down at his desk. Some people call that brown nosing, but hey, whatever, it worked. <laughs> but I sat down at a desk across from somebody who already liked me, who had already attached a value to me and decided that I'm going to break the norm here and I'm going to grant Donnie's request to do this again. And he told me, don't ever tell anybody. And I realized I just, I'm not supposed to tell you. That was 20 years ago. I don't think he's in the world anymore, so I think we're okay. But he said, don't tell anybody this because we don't do this. This would cause problems, but I'm going to do it for you because I like you, because he valued me. You know, that's how our culture works. When something is valued, it's held up and it's loved. So if, if you have fame or you have ability or you have the gift to be able to put a ball where it's supposed to go many times in a row, or throw it further, or run faster, or hit the high notes, or whatever, the world says, we love you because we value what you do. You can do that better than anybody else, so you receive our love. And then we turn that on ourselves and say, if I was just better at blank, then I would be loved. If I was just more like this person, or if I could just do this a little bit better, then I could experience love. So this is what the world tells us, what our culture tells us. Value equals love. So you are loved because you're valued. It's really always been that way. You have something of value, the world will love you. You can do something better than anybody else, the world will love you. And then Jesus comes along and he turns that completely upside down because he starts to place value on people, not because of what they could do for him or because of who their friends were or their talents were. He just valued people because he loved them. And while the world says, 
if we value what you can bring to the table, we love you. Jesus says, I love you, and therefore, you are valued. Two very different ways of looking at the world. Two very different ways of looking at people. And the tension arises almost immediately when you read about Jesus starting his ministry. Because Jesus chose to hang out with people, one, who needed him in their presence, and people who were not valued very much by the world. And there's an episode in his ministry in the book of Luke, chapter 15, when he's hanging out with some people that the religious leaders thought he shouldn't be. And look on the screen as I read from Luke, chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus is living in this religious culture, and the religious people ran things, and they had placed a value on people based on how the, what family they were born into, if they were good or not, if they followed the right rules or not. So if you did what they said to do, you had value. But if you didn't, you were worthless. And so the people that these religious leaders saw Jesus hanging out with, they were deemed worthless by the world. Like these are just tax collectors. These are just sinners. These are just people who have messed up, people who have wandered so far from where they're supposed to be. Why would Jesus spend time with them? They're worthless not worth his time, and they were upset with Jesus constantly because he was spending time with those types of people. People that they said, they're not worth it. They're not even worth the time of Jesus. They're not even worth the time of anybody because they don't measure up and they don't have anything that, that's valuable. As we've made this move from being portable uh, to moving out of our offices down the street to here, I figured out something. We have a lot of junk we have stuff that I don't even know where we got it. I don't even know why we have it. And we were just hanging on to it in case we needed it. Or we were just getting by until we had our own space. And we started thinking, how are we going to get rid of all this junk? It really needs to go to the dump. And somebody mentioned, hey, do you know on Craigslist, if you put curb alert by something, I, I didn't know this. Somebody told me this not too long ago. Did, did you know that? You can write curb alert and people will come up and get your junk. And you don't even have to take it to the dump. So if you curb alert something, what you're saying is, this is not even worth my time to take to the dump. I'll just drag it out to the curb, put it on Craigslist, and it's going to be valuable to somebody, and they can just come and get it. So a few weeks ago, we decided that the, the couch in our youth room at the old offices uh, smelled bad. It had holes in it. Uh, it was kind of propped up, and, and I think we may have lost some kids down in at a time or two because it was just not really not good at all. It was ugly. And so we started talking about taking it to the dump, and it was a sectional that somebody had given us, and we said, gosh, that's, that's going to take an hour to take it to the dump. And somebody said, let's curb alert it. So we push it out onto the, the balcony, the breezeway at our offices, and on the Craigslist ad, it said, it has holes, it's ripped, it's, got, it, it's, it's not supported on half of it, it's, it's got broken legs. We put that out there, and somebody's reading somewhere... I don't know if they're sitting by the road just waiting for something on Craigslist to pop up curb alert, because somewhere somebody said, honey, look, a new couch, let's go. And so they go pick, they come and get our couch within an hour. And so we started just curb alerting all kinds of junk. 
Like, the cleanup around this building was easy. We said, throw it out there and put it on Craigslist because it's not even worth taking it to the dump. That's how people were treating other people in Jesus' day. They were saying, these people aren't worth anything. They're worthless. And why, Jesus, would you spend time with these worthless people? And Jesus said, no, what you have devalued, I value. What you deem curb alert material is worth something to me. And so Jesus is the one that drives by and picks up what nobody else wants. He took, the, he took people who were messed up and going down the wrong path, and he offered them a second chance. And to try to get these religious people to understand why he was doing this, he tells them three stories right after they say, why are you with these sinners? Why are you eating with people? Because if you ate with somebody in that culture, you like, it was like, hey, we're friends. We're pals. We hang out together. And they couldn't stand that Jesus was eating with these people. And so Jesus ends up telling them three stories to try to shed some light on this is why. And the first one is about a shepherd and a sheep in verse 4. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? So what is sheep and shepherd? What, what does that have to do with these people? Jesus is saying, I'm going to go get those who have wandered away. Because in that culture, if a shepherd had one of his sheep wander away, that represented income. That represented a commitment that he'd made to protect these sheep. It represented his livelihood. And so he would do whatever it took, risk whatever he had to, to go get one to bring it back. And so what Jesus is saying is, these people are like those sheep. They've wandered off. And I'm willing to leave everybody else here while I go here and have dinner with these people that you say are worthless. And then he, he tells another story. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And Jesus is telling them, because in that culture, a woman would have been able to attract a mate by these coins she would have had. And it represented her ability to attract a man. And if you take away a single woman's ability to attract a man, it, you better look out. I mean, so she's like, oh my gosh, I got to find this coin. This represents the quality of guy I'm going to get. So I've got to find the coin. And so the story just talks about how she rips her house apart looking for this one lost coin and she eventually finds it. And Jesus is saying, these people that I'm hanging out with, they're not worthless. They're like this coin that this woman ripped her house apart looking for. And Jesus is saying, if i got to rip your little worlds apart, your little religious worlds, in order to find these people who are lost, then I'm going to do it. And then he tells another story. In verse, 15, in, in verse 11 of chapter 15, he says, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son picked all his belongings, packed all his belongings, and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. So Jesus tells him this story to say, look, these are like the sons that went away, the son that left, the son that that just went away, and, and now, if you read the rest of that story about the son 
and the money and the mistakes, he gets to a place where he is desperate, where he realizes his mistakes and he desperately wants and needs a second chance. And Jesus finishes the story by saying that while the dad was standing looking down the driveway, across the field, that the son started coming back. And the dad didn't go up to him like we might do to our children and say, you know, get back up that hill into the house. You know, that's, you'd be upset if your son asked you for that or your children asked you for that. The dad didn't do that. The dad went out to him, hugged him, and put him right back where he was before he left. He gave him the second chance of all second chances. He erased his mistakes. He canceled all the, the debt the kid owed him, and he said, come back into the family right where you were before, and then they had a party. And Jesus is saying, you are ready to throw these people aside. And I'm telling you, they're the sheep that's wandered off. They're the coin that's been lost, and they're the son that desperately wants to be back in the father's family. Jesus is saying, I want to give them a second chance. Because these people have found themselves in a place they never intended to be. You may today have found yourself in a place you never intended to be. In more debt than you ever imagined. Alone and you didn't think you would be. In broken relationships when you never intended for it to be that way. Rocky relationships with parents or children. And you never intended for it to go that way, but it did. And the same way Jesus goes to these people that, that the religious people of that day called sinners, the same way he went to them and said, let's have a meal and talk about it. That's what he says to you, no matter what you've done, no matter what the mistakes are that you've made. And he's trying to get this one group of people to be a little bit empathetic with this other group of people and kind of see it from their perspective but they refused to do so. Recently, I read about this university study of millennials, which are people from ages 18 to 25, and the surprising part of the study said that they, they largely lack the ability to empathize. In other words, they, they, they don't have the ability to say, oh, gosh, that's bad. I kind of see it from your perspective. I see where you're coming from. I mean, you, you may have a low empathetic level. You may just say, I don't empathize with anybody. They're all jerks, you know. But another way of saying that is, I'm not willing to give the second chance that I want. Somebody that's not very empathetic, well, they think they don't need a second chance. They think, well, you know, you need, if you were like me, the world would be a better place. So if your empathy meter is kind of low, you need to work on understanding what it means to get a second chance from God. Because the only thing that you can do in response to a second chance from God, it's to look at other people and say, I will give you a second chance too. I, I will extend grace and forgiveness. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were happy to receive a second chance. They were happy to receive God's grace, but they didn't want to give it out to others. You know, another word for getting a second chance is grace. It's grace from God grace from someone that's going to forgive you. Grace is getting something that you can't earn, getting something that you don't deserve. And that's what Jesus was dishing out to these people who have messed up. Unearned favor, unearned love. They were loved and they were valued. 
because they were loved. And Jesus is saying, God wants to give second chances. All of us, he wants to give us a second chance. The most dangerous thing that someone can learn about God is that God doesn't give second chances or God is just waiting for us to mess up or just waiting to kick us back in line, waiting to let us have it, waiting to say, see, you messed up, see where you are. I knew that was going to happen and it just, just waiting to just push you out. My grandmother did her best, and, but unintentionally, she kind of warped my view of God. Now, I know it was her making an attempt to get a rebellious boy to listen and do what she was supposed to do. But she would say things to me like, God's going to get you. I mean, like, how bad of a thing would have I had to done? And how much of at the end of her rope would she have had to be to say, God's going to get you? And she would usually grit her teeth when she said it. And I would think, oh my gosh, God's going to get me? I don't, I don't want to get around God if he's going to get me. And she had this little way. When I would do good things, she would say, God just gave you a red mark. And I would picture this book and God going, red check mark, Donnie good. Red check mark, Donnie good. But then when I would do something bad, she would say, God just gave you a black mark. And I would picture God with a big black marker doing that every time I did something wrong. And I, I lived a lot of my life thinking, my reds better be more than my blacks or I'm in trouble. Completely warped my view of God. And I used to walk thinking that, if I get my act cleaned up, then I can go to church. Then, if, if, I, if I act better, then I can, I can become a follower of Christ. And that's wrong. In the book, The Reason for God, author Timothy Keller says this, The mistaken belief that a person must clean up his or her own life in order to merit God's presence is not Christianity. This means, though, that the church will be filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go emotionally, morally, and spiritually. That's what I have seen to be true. That if people think, i got to get my act cleaned up before I come to God, they never do. But if they realize I'm messed up and God is the only answer, He's the only place to get a second chance. And these religious people Jesus was dealing with, they were upset because he was hanging out with people who had yet to clean up their act. Now, we act that way too. We think, if I could just get to this level, to this point, if I could make this amount of income, or if I could marry this person, or if I could date this person, or live in this city, or be this smart, and if I could just do that, then life would be better then everything would be okay and, and my life would feel good and I would not have that empty feeling inside if I could just do this thing and just fill in the blank. If you could fix your life on your own, you would have done so by now. I mean, I'm going to say that we have like an, an intelligence threshold here where at least we all um, got out of bed, got dressed and drove here. So there's some level of intelligence in this room. So I'm going to assume, since there's at least a baseline level of intelligence, that if you could fix the things that were messed up in your life, you would have already done it. And you're here, so I'm assuming you think there's some things I need to fix or some things that I need to allow God to do in me that have yet to be done in my life. And so maybe showing up here, maybe getting engaged in church, maybe participating in worship and listening to a message from God's word, maybe that's going to be the catalyst that propels me forward and I'll start to heal. I'll start to be different and I'll receive a second chance. 
But many people live their lives saying, I can fix this on my own. Your effort will never complete you. Your effort will never get you where God wants you to be. So you need a higher power. So if you're taking notes, write this down. God's second chance, God's grace completes me. If I want to be, if I want to get a second chance, it's going to take God doing it, not me fixing myself. Take a look at these two pictures on the screen. This is a picture on the left of a digital camera, totally disassembled. And on the right, for those of you over 30, you know that is a typewriter. If you don't know what a typewriter is, just Google it, you'll know. What if I just, what if I had all those parts in a box and I just randomly picked somebody out and said, hey, put this camera back together? highly unlikely you'd be able, you wouldn't be able to do it unless you happen to build Nikon cameras. But what if we brought that box of parts to the person who designed it, the person who built it, the person who knows the purpose of every single one of those little things you see in the picture, they could sit there and piece by piece put it back together because they designed it. And if you think your life is a wreck, and if you think you're messed up, and you think you can't fix things, it's because you can't, but your creator can. Your designer can. God knows where pieces fit. He knows how to fix things. He knows how to help you cope. He knows how to help you deal with things. And most of all, he knows how to say, you can receive a second chance. So only by going to our designer, our creator, can we be complete, can we be fixed. So if your finances are a mess, try managing them God's way. If your marriage is a mess, try managing it God's way. If you made more mistakes than you can count, then try to live God's way instead of your way. Intellectually, that's really easy to get. Oh, yeah, he showed the picture of that camera. Yeah, I'm going to need to let God put my life back together instead of me. I get it. But I know there's some people that are probably thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. It's none of the things you've mentioned. It's worse. It's deeper. How could I get a second chance after what I've done to this person or what I've done behind closed doors that nobody knows about? Watch this video about what it means to get a second chance. Mbabarira Natima gui murumuna wawe Nakoreshes umuro wanji Nima gurumka wawe Kujiza afa Kujiza umuicha Zini hangani Nicha umkuwa wawe
kubabarira Ndakubabarira n'Imana kubabarira What Jesus wanted the people he was speaking to that day to understand is that we can all get a second chance. We can say, do over, and he'll give us a do over. We can say, can I take that test again? And he'll let you do it. God is the God of second chances. Please come check out the next two weeks of this series as we talk about what it means to live as people of the second chance. God, thank you so much for the story we just saw, for the words of yours that we read about how much you value people because you love them. And God, I pray for the person right now that is sitting in here thinking they don't even deserve a second chance. May, may they feel valued and loved and worthy of you giving them one more chance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are people of the second chance, and that is an awesome thing. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, if this is your first time here to LifePoint, we just want to say thank you so much for coming and for joining us this morning. Um, you picked a great day to join us uh, for the start of this series. We want to ask you to do a couple things. Uh, the first thing is to take our Try 5 Challenge, and uh, that just means to keep coming back, to come back uh, for a few more weeks, see how uh, LifePoint fits as your church home. Uh, why not finish out this People of the Second Chance series? Um, so we'd love for you to do that. Please take our Try 5 Challenge. During that time, uh, we'd love for you to take one of our, or come to our Discover event, um, as well as stop by the info booth and pick up one of these um, welcome packets. Uh, we'd love for you to get one of those. You can also stand uh, right here after service. Uh, there'll be a couple people down front. Some of our pastors would love to hand you one of those. So if you're new, you can feel free to come down and uh, pick one of those up uh, there too. The other thing we want to ask you to do is take out this orange WhatsApp card. It's in your program. Okay, Find it wherever you put it, pull it out, and then there's really no excuse Okay, because right in front of you is a pen. Unless you're on the front row and you have to reach back. But there's a pen, and we'd love for you to fill out that orange WhatsApp card. Um, let us know that you are here. Give us some information about yourself. We'd love to connect with you. And you regulars, you know what to do. You fill this card out each and every week. Um, the offering basket will come by in a few, and you can drop it um, in there. So please take a second to do that. Also, regulars, want to remind you to look in your program at the five life points, see what's going on around the life of our church. Um, there's some things in there you don't want to miss. Discover's coming up. Um, and there's some youth news on the back, and I want to invite anyone who's a middle schooler or high schooler or a parent of to make sure that you're at our parent meeting, which is right after this service right here, um, so at 1215. So uh, we'd love for you to join us uh, for that. Um, all right, well, now is the time where we're going to continue to worship uh, through the giving, uh, through generosity. And so this is the time for us to give back a part of what God has blessed us with. Uh, and this is a time for us to kind of release the hold that greed can have on us. And um, I know that we can get consumed by this building and think, oh, yes, we've got this, this church that's here. Now we're in the church. But the church isn't the lights. It's not the building. It's not the cool stuff. The church is the people sitting in here. It's the kids worshiping next door. It's the teens in the room uh, down the hall. It's your small group in your living room. And when you give generously, I just want you to know that you're helping to change people's lives through those things. 
um, in addition to other things, church planning, lots of other things. But I just want to thank you so much for your generosity um, to help support all the ministries of LifePoint. So the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass the baskets now, and everyone in the room is invited to participate. Um, as they pass those, I invite you to put your WhatsApp cards in. I also just want to invite Donnie Williams to come back out, and he's going to share an exciting thing that we have coming up in Life for Our Church. You know, if, um, if you ask people who come to church or follow Christ, do you read your Bible? Only about half the people would say, yeah, I do. And if you said, why don't you read your Bible more? You get a couple different answers. But the top two would be, well, I just don't have time. We're busy people. That makes sense. And another one would be, well, it's confusing. I don't understand it. I mean, I'm reading one story and then I get a couple books later and there's the same story again. I don't get the way all of it fits together. Well, we are getting ready to start a series on October the 6th called The Story. And what it is, it's a look at the major stories throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation and how those stories fit together and and tell one seamless story of God's pursuit of the hearts of people. And the best way you can participate in that is to get one of these books called The Story. It's the NIV translation arranged chronologically. We have them out at the cafe today. They're only five bucks. We got a great deal on them, hardback book for five bucks. We also have them for teenagers as well. It's the same thing. It's just got different notes in it for teens than for adults. But we'd like to start providing these for you today. An option for you to purchase one of these. If you're a digital reader, it's available, available on Kindle or iBooks as well. But go by the cafe, grab one of these, and just start to read. Because just in a few minutes a day, you can be through the whole Bible in no time. And then on October the 6th, we're going to start with creation. And we're going to go, not in one day, but we're going to go all the way through. All the way through all the major themes and stories of the Bible. And we've designed this in a way that people can jump in. If they're in week five or six or whenever, they jump in. They're not going to feel lost. But please get one of these today. Pick one up for a friend, family members. We're going to be able to do this in a lot of our groups. If you're in a grow group, and op- there'll be opportunities for you to just get with your family and go through it. There's also a children's version of it that we'll have starting next Sunday, or you can look that up online as well. So as you go out today, pick up one of these copies of the story. Thank you for coming today. You are now dismissed. May God bless you. Have a great week and stick with us as we learn how to be people of the second chance. I'm right down front here. If you're here for the first time, I'd love to meet you.